the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, we are uh, delightfully able to do so with our dear friend Brandon Weikert, Brandon J. Weikert, columnist for uh, a lot of outlets uh, now, including... Uh, the Asia Times, including uh, the Wa- the Washington Times, he's uh, now with a, a new web. Uh, he's now newly with a website. What is it? Nineteen forty five. What is it, Brandon? I don't have it. Yes, it's nineteen forty five, and that's you type in one nine, and then you write out f o r t y f i v e and dot com. Nineteen forty five dot com. I'm a senior editor there. That's fantastic, and of course, yeah, thank the, you. You betcha, and of course, the author of. Many important books, uh, including uh, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. Two of those countries kind of made some news uh, along with Saudi Arabia over the last few days. What's this new deal all about, Brandon? Um, Basically, the Chinese read my book, I think, (laughs) and (laughs) basically ripped me off, and instead of it being the Americans, making deals with the Saudis and maybe even the Israelis. Uh, it was the Chinese. And what this represents, in my opinion, is the full-blown collapse of the U.S.-led order in the Middle East. Uh, it is dead. It is gone. It is not going to come back. Uh, it is the birth of a new Chinese and maybe even Russian-led order there. Um, and uh, this is the first of many steps. I think that ultimately uh, the objective is to, uh, the Chinese want to stabilize the situation between Iran and the Sunni Arab states and Israel by also next going after and trying to um, trying to basically uh, uh, end the Yemen civil war. Of course, the Saudis started uh, or made it worse that civil war because they were trying to stop Iran from using that civil war to expand their power. Iran was supporting the Houthi rebels. Uh, so um, Saudi Arabia started supporting al-Qaeda types. We started supporting whatever Saudi Arabia was doing to keep them on board. And uh, now here we are, the odd man out, because nobody likes this war. The Saudis have been trying to figure out a way out. They can't. We don't know how to get out. Uh, the Iranians certainly want it to end. And now it's going to be Iran's new partner, the Chinese, who are going to end that. And you can bet. Part of the uh, price for ending that is going to be further isolating the United States and the region. Yeah. And meanwhile, meanwhile, Israel, the question is, what is Israel going to do? Right. Because on the one hand, you've got people like David Goldman, who's my editor at the Asia Times, writing that if you're Israel, actually the Sunni, I'm sorry, the Saudi Chinese deal with Iran actually could be an opportunity for Israel because Israel could then piggyback onto that deal and basically push America back and then become a sort of a new ally of China, because China, he thinks, and others, he's not alone in thinking this, thinks that um, uh, Israel uh, could rely on China to keep Iran at bay. Now, personally, I think that that's not a good idea, 
Um, I don't think you can trust Iran. I don't even think China can trust Iran. But ultimately, I think that's where the region is going because everyone in the region and in China as well, and certainly in Russia, believes that the United States is led by weak and feckless leadership, that we are on our way out, that we truly are a declining power about to die. And so it's like rats leaving a sinking ship. Everybody's trying. I'm talking about countries in general. I'm not specifically saying any one country. I'm just saying all the region, I think, is sort of looking at America as a sinking ship, and they're all trying to kind of leave. Uh, and, uh, you know, even if it means burning the bridges with us. And to be honest, when it comes to Saudi Arabia and Israel, the Biden administration has been very effective at burning bridges with them. So really, it's no love loss for them. Uh, my hope, though, is that Israel recognizes that that the Biden administration is a, you know, one time thing. We're going to have a new leader eventually. I think that new leader is going to be very good for Israel, also very good for Saudi Arabia. Um, and so my hope is that maybe we can slow this down with a new leader. But, you know, the, the momentum is working against us. Uh, and uh, if that, you know, if it, if it ends up where it, China is not only able to do this deal, but then they're able to pivot and help end Yemen, and then they're able to pivot and maybe bring Israel into the deal they have with Saudi Arabia and Iran, we are really talking about the end of the American-led system in the Middle East. And that's another great defeat affected by Joe Biden and his his supreme, you know, idiocy. Do you think that some of the reforms we have seen with Saudi Arabia could uh, backslide as a result of this? Or do you think that their internal politics are irrelevant to this geopolitical stuff? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't really know. First of all, the reforms for Saudi Arabia were quite significant. Yeah. But then again, in general, I mean, letting women drive, what right. they do. Right. Um, but, you know, for Saudi Arabia, they were significant. And I do think that Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, I do think he's genuinely interested in reform. Yeah. And so he'll probably keep that regardless. The reason that he wants to move closer to China is twofold, or threefold. Not only because of the idiocy displayed by the Biden administration in snubbing him, but it's also because he's trying to make Saudi Arabia, uh, he's trying to fashion it away from just being the oil capital of the world. He wants it to be the tech capital of the Middle East. And China is offering him through Huawei all of these sweetheart deals uh, that will allow for uh, Saudi Arabia to become the Silicon Valley of the Middle East. And, of course, China believes it can get in on that at the ground level and box the Americans out. And meanwhile, um, like I said, the Saudis are very worried that they, that they, might, um, that they might be too reliant on oil. Mm -hmm. And so the Chinese are allowing for them to uh, both have the security of their number one client, China, backing their play in Saudi Arabia, and then also China's going to help the Saudis diversify uh, so that they're not so reliant on oil. So everybody wins except the United States. And this was avoidable, I think, don't you? Oh, completely. So basically what Trump started doing with the Abraham Accords was what, as you know, the shadow war, my, my next book, was all about, which is we need to be building, regardless of whether it's a Democrat or Republican in charge, we need to be building off of that. We need to quit going after this siren song of peace with Iran, with Iran, uh, and, uh, you know, embrace the people we were dancing with before. As imperfect as Saudi Arabia may be, it's our friends. We've invested a lot of money and time and resources into building up Saudi Arabia. So it was a natural fit 
for us to just say, hey, Saudi Arabia, you need to leave the Sunni Arab states, and hey, Israel, you need to come also on board with us as the linchpin, the United States as the linchpin of a new alliance in the region that will be used to go after Islamist terrorism, but also, more importantly, will be used to contain Iranian ambitions for the region. Mm -hmm. But that is not what we did. Biden immediately distanced himself from Abraham Accords because Orange Man is always bad and anything he touched was evil. And then Biden pivoted and for two and a half years has been vainly trying to restore the nuclear deal that Obama did with Iran. But the game's up on that. Uh, and then also Biden has been trying desperately to ding Israel and Saudi Arabia on human rights violations, violations to so-called democracy, all in an effort to try to curry favor with Iran, which is insane. It's, it is beyond insane. We had everything set up to create a viable NATO-like alliance in the Middle East that would have secured the peace in our favor for the next 60 years. But now the Chinese have stepped in and they've done their own Abraham Accords while our Abraham Accords are collapsing. And it is going to be very bad for the United States, which still needs that region because it's a geostrategic important part of the world. It's the crossroads of civilization. A lot of trade goes through there to say nothing of the oil. And we must always make sure that the oil is flowing. And now we can't do that. We don't have leverage over China anymore. We won't uh, because that region is where China gets almost half, more than half of its oil from before now we had the ability to cut them off from those sources because we were allies with these countries. Now China is working without firing a shot to push us out of the region through diplomacy and economics so that they don't have to worry about America cutting them off from their sources of oil and natural gas should a crisis erupt over Taiwan. Now, then the other question becomes, does this push Saudi Arabia farther away from us? I mean, at this point, you know, if they have China, why do they need us? Well, that's the thing, is that they're, they're, they're increasingly distancing themselves from us. You know, we looked at it as, hey, we were doing them a favor by providing military aid and support. But in fact, the Saudis actually fighting our enemies for us. I understand that many of those hijackers on 9-11 came from Saudi Arabia. But you have to understand, the government of Saudi Arabia has no desire to see al-Qaeda win any more than we do. And so there's a lot of bad blood from 9-11 between our two countries, but ultimately the government there, particularly after 2003, has been very good about fighting terrorism. So we were getting something out of that. They've also provided a lot of critical intelligence support in our war on terror. And also with the Yemen civil war, as nasty as it was, Saudi Arabia's intervention was very bloody. But they were doing something. They were draining Iranian military power for us. And now that is out, going to be all in question. The next step is going to be China brokers a deal between the two warring sides in Yemen. And suddenly now China's the big dog player in the region. And now Iran and Saudi Arabia are cozying up. Israel's the odd man out, and so are we. Not good. Not good. All right, Brandon J. Weikert and I will be right back. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is the author of several important books, columnist at several important outlets, and you can find him on Twitter, active, very active Twitter page, at we the Brandon, W-E, like collective I, we the Brandon. Um, Brandon, you know, I was listening to what you were saying, and I was thinking a little bit about as we're, you know, we're, we're – 
keeping our best thoughts for former President Jimmy Carter, but we used to also, and I hope we don't take leave of our senses on this, remember the Carter years as being particularly crummy years, both domestically and on foreign relations. About a about uh, two handfuls, about 10 countries fell to the Soviet sphere under Carter's watch. Um, about a dozen, if you include 1975, I think. And I'm just wondering if we are going to be watching a very close reprise, a history repeating itself right now, maybe not with a obvious Russian or Soviet falling, but maybe countries falling to the China sphere under Joe Biden. I wonder if that's an analog you find at all possible. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's what's going on right now. And um, the difference between the Soviet Union and the People's Republic of China is that the Soviet Union was at least some pretty much isolated. Um, there really were two systems. Um, that were divergent from each other, and we didn't need to worry about the Soviet Union hurting our economy if, you know, they made some gains. They were always just really primarily a military and cultural threat. Yeah. China is a full-throated threat. They are the second largest economy. They will be very soon, I believe, the number one economy. Um, none of this is working uh, in America's favor. If we lose uh, credibility and influence, as we have under Biden, um, actually, Biden is his whole goal, I think, is to make Jimmy Carter look like a great president, yeah. because that's that. I mean, Jim, we're going to be looking at Jimmy Carter going, wow, he was better than Biden. I mean, he may have been bad, but he was better than Biden because, you know, ultimately we were able to recover. But my worry is that we're at the point of no return when it comes to um, the situation in the world and at home. Um, you know, whether we're talking about what, like you say, we're losing these countries to China yeah. quietly, yeah. Um, or you're talking about what I've been writing about and what I'm still waiting to get published is an article on the mass depression, uh, economic depression here in the United States. I think we are we are in one of the worst moments in American history. I think this is the the last gasp before the big plunge, and um, nobody's prepared, nobody's ready, and our leadership certainly is completely blinkered. Um, and so I think Jimmy Carter, we're going to look back and um, wish that we had Jimmy Carter. Yeah. It's so bad right now. Do, do you sense that the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank is 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 a uh, is a sign of things to come or at least explanatory of things going on right now? Well, I should tell your audience, I am by no means a, a finance expert. I'm a foreign policy nerd mm-hmm. um, and a political wonk. But um, do I think that I I. I don't believe anything this administration said. So this administration says they have everything under control. I don't believe them. This administration says all they have to do is, you know, do these this depositor bailout. It's not calling a bailout, but that's what it is. Uh, and they say that we'll be fine. This isn't a systemic risk. But then I look at what the Fed has said they're going to do, and they're basically going to be bailing out or allowing for any depositor who's at risk, not just at SVB, but at any of these regional or medium or small-sized financial institutions, these banking institutions, they're going to allow them to receive a bailout via the uh, Depositor Insurance Corporation, the FDIC. Um, that sounds pretty systemic to me. Mm-hmm. Now, they say it's not a bailout, and they say that they're going to fund this through the, the, the FDIC. Okay, but, I mean, the problem also is is that these medium and smaller-sized banks have become one of the primary business, uh, rather, one of the primary clients, if you will, of the big banks. Yeah. And so the, the, the problem is, is that we're talking about this like there's some kind of uh, differential between the big and the small banks, the small banks being the ones most affected by this. But what nobody's talking about 
is eventually it's going to have an impact on the U.S. economy. Small banks through these, or rather these big banks through these small banks, they're funding a lot of business loans. Mm -hmm. They're giving loans out to businesses. Businesses won't be able to open up and grow and do the things that they're supposed to do to contribute to the economy and be successful. So that alone is going to have a long-term deleterious impact on economic growth. And then you throw in inflation. All of this is going to contribute to inflation. Now, one source I spoke to, Seth, said that actually this really is a bailout, that this is all smoke and mirrors, and that because they basically made this open to any financial institution, inevitably it's going to cost trillions of dollars. It's going to go on for the next year. That's an extreme position. But this is not good. And by the way, the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, the rest of the world, they're looking at this, Seth, and they're saying, Wow, the Americans really are on their last leg. This is why we can link it to foreign policy. This is why the Middle East is going away from us after we spent 20 years, over a trillion dollars, thousands of American lives trying to keep the Middle East open and secure, and this is the thanks we get. Well, it's partly because of things like this financial collapse. It's going to partly be because of the coming debt ceiling battle, which I'm sorry to say the Republicans are going to spooch royally and we are going to default, and it is going to destroy the American economy, and that also is going to further enhance our enemies abroad. And so all these things are congealing under Biden's rule, and Biden acts like he's Mr. Magoo. He's just sort of, you know, doping, you know, dopey. He's kind of walking around and telling us these little things about how everything will be secure, don't worry about it. But nothing is secure. Nothing is safe under this man because this man has no control because he can barely control his own faculties, let alone, you know, the forces of, of you know, the centrifugal forces of history. <laughs> it's um, it's 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 odd feeling where, you know, so many Americans I get that you probably talk to them uh, often or interact with them online or perhaps in your classrooms. I get them from emails and phone calls. Just the sense that the sense that there's uh, we've talked a little bit about this before a general suck that nothing seems to be going right and there's no real light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it's it's a hole we're digging in that's going to be massively difficult to dig out of. Whether it's the debt, whether it's the state of our economy, whether it's the work ethic, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's transportation, you get the picture, Brandon. I mean, right. it's it's we are really in some terrible doldrums right now. Oh, and it's not going to get better at all. Let me tell you something else. Even if a Republican takes over in twenty twenty four. The amount of digging we're going to have to do is going to be more than a single term in office or two terms in office. This is going to be a generational thing. We're talking about a lost generation of American power and wealth. And then you look at the young students that were graduating today in public schools and charter schools, even in some private schools going into college. They don't fill you with confidence. This is not a good sign. This is long-term decline that is already here to setting in. Perfect. This is this is this is a perfect storm, and it's it's also has this terrible effect. Maybe this gets a little bit actually to your column at nineteen forty five on January sixth, but it gets this gets us this terrible effect of more Americans being more divisive, more pitted towards pitted against each other, and more susceptible really to conspiracy conspiratorial thinking. Can we pick up on some of that when we come back? Absolutely. Brandon, Absolutely. Thank you, Brandon. Brandon Weikert is our guest, contributing editor to 1945. 19, the number one nine forty five spelled out, dot com. He and I will be right back.
Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. Brandon, when things go badly, I mean, we've all watched this happen in other countries. It's happened here from time to time. When things are going badly, uh, where the media seems to not be portraying uh, both sides fairly or representing one side where the government seems to be in an extra partisan attack mode all the time when we can believe the president or believe our daily life stories which just don't comport with the America he describes whether it's about the border or whether it's about the economy doing so much better or whether it's about job growth this has the effect of generally dividing Americans more and more And it also has this effect of making us more susceptible to conspiratorial thinking. Uh, Your piece got me on January 6th, uh, got me to thinking about that. It was titled January 6th was terrible. It was not another 911. You know, I I think you and I were probably on the same exact page with regard to January 6th when it broke out up until yesterday, probably we were on the same page, which was, uh, 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 an awful disaster, a riot. Uh, thank God uh, the, the, the injuries were minimal. And it was uh, these idiots who engaged in it serving up the rest of the Republican platter uh, 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 on a silver platter, the rest of the Republican Party's head, which the Democrats played to a fairly well. Um, that's kind of what happened here. Um, it was a, a one-off riot by a, bunch, by a bunch of nobodies that the entire party got painted with, no matter how many times we tried to uh, denounce it or distance ourselves from anything having to do with it. There is this weird thing, having gone through it. Sorry for the long wind-up. It's just a big issue, Brandon. Having gone through all that and, and won, winning the Congress in 2022, despite that campaign against us, by the skin of our teeth winning it, I'm just wondering if it's so smart to be bringing it back. It seems like it was just about in the rearview mirror, and it seems like some of us are wanting to bring it back a little bit. And I, I don't know if there's wisdom in that or if there's wisdom in anything I'm saying to you right now. No, it's very wise, and you're very correct. I mean, um, you know, I think the article summed it up well, though. I mean, you know, it, it, it was a deep dive. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's completely wrong what happened that day. Right. It was not the way to resolve the issue. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, it, it wasn't 9-11, thank no, God. It no. was, it was you know, you had a couple thousand people who went in there. Most of them were kind of grandmas, just kind of looky-loos. Yeah. Um, and there was a handful of malcontents, which is the exact same way you would describe and should describe those BLM protests uh, that preceded, the, you know, that in, earlier in 2020. Uh, it, it was mostly people who were not violent, but... There were groups of It's the violence that made it news, though. I mean, it's the right. violence that right. made it an issue but, in both right. cases. My, my, right, right. Right. My right. point is that it was a, a small group of sure. malcontents. Sure. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, basically that's where we're at right now is where we're, we're basically ripping the country apart and we're talking about how, you know, Americans who voted Trump are irredeemable and they're deplorable. Right, right. And, do know, they realize, do it, the Democrats realize that they are the pyromaniacs of the division right. in this country? Do they realize right. that? It's, it's really scary because there's absolutely no reason uh, uh, to be talking like this. When you look at the numbers of people involved right. in, the, uh, in, in the event, it really wasn't that many people. No. And, and so... 
six hours, a riot was put down, no loss of life except one of the rioters or one of the people entering the building illegally, one of the Correct. one of the people on the purported Trump side of things. Right. Uh, right. And 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 awful at every level, obviously, obviously, but not three months and 30 dead and two billion dollars worth of damage no. and not no. not right. stopping the peaceful transfer of power. That would have been on January 20th, not January 6th. It was about right. so all and- that stipulated of course of course right but on the other hand <laughs> i do worry about you know well we have all these hours of no violence that we that we that we were never you, seen well okay but that's not why it was a newsworthy event <laughs> it wasn't right. you could find any crime scene with hours of nonviolence. right right and so that you know that's why we be very cognizant of this was 9-11 it was a bad day this was not our finest moment, either as Republicans or as Americans. But but let's not bring the tools of, that we use to fight Al Qaeda and use them against. Correct. Of absolutely. And but that is what they have been doing. The Democrats have been doing it since I noticed. I first noticed it during the. I got to take a break. But I first noticed it during the Obama administration. When they would talk about our terrorist enemies as extremists, and then in the next breath they would talk about uh, the extremist Republicans, kind of creating right. that loop in the mind that Republicans are akin to to terrorists. So let me pick up on that thought with you when we come right back, and we Very will be well. right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest, author of uh, a lot of important books. I mean, if you want to know what's going on in the world, you read Brandon Weikert. If you want to know what's going on six months before it happens, you read Brandon Weikert. Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. The sh- <clears throat> Excuse me, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. And Biohacked, China's Race to Control. Life. I, I noticed, like, for example, in 2014, let us, let's go back to 2014, after the... Uh, the uh, shooting in uh, Ferguson, Missouri, uh, B- Barack Obama went to the United Nations, denounced terrorism at uh, the United Nations opening ceremony uh, that September. And he said, but lest you think we are on a high horse here in America, we have our own problems. Just look at Ferguson, Missouri. You don't put a one off that's not policy uh, up up on par and on the same right. moral plane as the terrorism and the human rights abuses we're denouncing. But they did it. And then ever right, since, they love to conflate extremism abroad as the new word well, for terrorism and, and, with extremist and, Republicans. And, Seth, if you look at what the Chinese do when they counter us and we bring up the fact they're murdering all those people in Xinjiang, they say, yes, but what about what, about what you're doing uh, to the African-American community? What about George Floyd? What about racism? So, you know, Obama being a good Marxist, it's what he does. Yeah. He, he, he would, you know, ultimately counter-accuse the, his own country— uh, whenever there were issues of foreigners doing wrong, he would do a counter accusation of, well, my own country, you know, does this and, and it doesn't make us any better. And ultimately, if it, you know, in my opinion, if, if and it, Biden's the same way, it's all it's a Democrat tactic. And my argument is that, hey, look, if, if, if that's how it's going to be, um, why why does it matter at all then? Why, why do we care at all about any of these things? The Democrats have all these these passionate things they care about. But if nobody's wrong and nobody's right, what does it matter then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I get it. I, I and, and it's a fair point that leads us down the road to what? Some form of nihilism or relativism on high, I suppose. Right. But if you want to understand 
for example, I earlier in the show did a monologue on that. I don't know if you saw that uh, that problem at Stanford Law School where a conservative judge wasn't allowed oh, to yeah, speak. I right. And, you know, yeah. uh, the students, law school students, I mean, students that I used to think were made of slightly harder stuff. They were when I was in law school. They could hear an opposing viewpoint. They have now been raised in a country to think for the last, uh, you know, 15, 20 years that anything not liberal left is automatically fascist this is where that viewpoint comes from and i wouldn't want a fascist on my campus i get that but this guy wanted a fascist we just have collapsed all the categories right and so because of that now anybody who's even like nelson rockefeller republican is now considered an extreme you know extreme right winger turned quasi-fascist right and this is you know, this is actually becoming a self. <laughs> you know, it's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, though, because what they're doing is the the the, the tighter they make the circle of acceptable people, right. The less likely that we are able to get anything done as a country, That's right. and the more likely we are to have some kind of a civil conflict. I agree. The kind, you know, and and I think on some level, though, I think that's what they want. I think the Democrats would love nothing more, and I think that's why they love bringing up January sixth and painting it as. It's this, you know, civil war type event. I think they would love nothing more than to be able to claim uh, the Republicans have gone off the reservation entirely and they need to be brought to heel militarily because they're now insurrectionists and insurrectionists must be not talked to and not negotiated with, but they must be crushed with all the power of the state. Remember a few years ago, um, Eric Swalwell uh, the boy, you know, the, the brilliant one who, who was having an affair with uh, a Chinese spy, uh, Eric Swalwell tweeted um, at a uh, pro, at somebody talking about uh, Second Amendment rights. He said, remember, oh, we've got you, you can take on the military, but the military's got the nukes. Right. The implication the implication was that at some point Democrats are going to be able to get the military to use full power, full force against their domestic enemies. And I got to tell you, Seth, it's looking like they really are starting to. It's looking like that's, you know, they that's do the push. Rest. They push. I mean, whether it's disinformation boards or whether it's yeah. censorship or whether it's the continual discussion. The head of the DNC, the chairman of the DNC, has twice said the Republican Party is the party of fascism. I mean, that right. kind of rhetoric goes on. You are going to force an issue at some point by marginalizing people outside of the respectable realm of dialogue. And that's the thing they I think that's what they ultimately want. A Reichstag situation, maybe. I think that's the ultimate goal is to be able to say the Republicans have lost their mind. We can no longer work with them. And they are now enemies of the state and they are thought criminals. I mean, look, uh, Raskin from Maryland. uh, Raskin was just on a phone call, apparently, with Thomas Massey today talking Mm -hmm. about SBB. And he brought up the fact that we need to use uh, SEC and DOJ powers to from sharing, quote, misinformation yeah. about the bank collapse. Yeah. yeah, Well, what misinformation he's talking about is actually people saying, I don't trust that, that Biden's telling us the truth, like what I was saying at the beginning of the show, that I think that actually there is a depression coming yeah. because there's a bank collapse underway and Biden's pretending like it's situation normal. That would be considered misinformation, and the Raskin and the Democrats would want to use that as a means to silence me on social media and in the media in general. And that's what they're talking about doing. So they're going to scale that up because they're going to say that you and I, Steph, are fascists and that we are domestic terrorists and we have to be crushed 
because we're a threat to the domestic security. It's and so that's incredible. Where things are headed. The biggest issue that probably has affected Americans in the last decade more than any other and will probably continue to affect us for the next decade coming was COVID and its mitigation strategies. And, you know, nothing was more rife with disinformation and misinformation, particularly from government and supposedly trustworthy sources. And we're still trying to come to grips with that. Meanwhile, of course, we're the party uh, of disinformation. It's a tremendous reversal of tables. It's a tremendous... And they're they're openly lying about what's going on in Ukraine. I mean, we're being lied to every day. And so we're just supposed to take their word that everything's okay with the banking system, that everything's okay, uh, you know, that... January 6th people really were Al-Qaeda-type terrorists. Hans, Nothing could be true. Hans, Christ, Hans Christian Andersen wrote The Emperor with No Clothes, and it's probably never been more le- never been That's less correct. fiction than now. Brandon Weikert, you're the best man. Thank you for everything, sir. Godspeed, and we'll Thank talk you. to you next week. All right. All our blessings. I'm Seth Liebson. I'll be right back with a final thought. You've all probably been hearing me talk about why refi for a while now, and if you still have some questions about what it could be like to invest with them, uh, they would love for you to contact them at 888-YREFI-34, and they'll happily put you in touch with any number of their many satisfied clients and customers in the Phoenix area who have been investing with them and doing very well. Uh, they'd like me to ask you how your IRA is doing. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market, the Fed, or Joe Biden's economy? You can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds, and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA. You don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, refy.com. The tensions that um, are going on in America that Brandon and I were talking about a little bit, this this is what I get asked about more than anything at speeches or receptions or wherever it is that I am and we're in a political mode of conversation. You know, this just this high wire act every American seems to be trying to negotiate these days, uh, whether it's uh, extra sensitivity uh, from people, whether it's uh, s- bad news that keeps coming, uh, like like Niagara with Nary, a good thing in sight, whether it's the um, shaming for being uh, a conservative or a Republican, uh, where you kind of feel like you have to keep your mouth closed about your true opinions, even in forums where people are happily talking about their liberal left-wing views as if that is the settled wisdom, whether we're talking about disinformation boards or whether we're talking about the very fact that we know, we we know, we just know that we have a president at this most tense of times, tense of moments, nationally, internationally, who's just not all there, just isn't all there, so much so that people just lie about him all the time. Jen Psaki this morning said that uh, the president is a night owl, and so it was shocking for her to see him speaking at 9 a.m. this morning. Well, I mean, for years, all we had was reports that Joe Biden likes to be in bed by 9. I'm sure he is in bed by 9. I mean, there's the lies we are expected to accept with the frenzy that keeps being imposed upon us. We come to these moments that, you know, (laughs) 
could very well be a breaking moment that will make, you know, things around here look so much worse than almost any other analog where democracies have overreacted, whether from the government end or whether from the civilian end. It is easy to provoke a democracy into overreaction. What do you say about a government and a media industry that is provoking citizens to overreact? feels like there's a lot of provoking going on right now. Well, we'll try and keep it together here and uh, keep uh, keep our heads about us when all around as others are losing theirs. Hat tip to Rudyard Kipling. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I am Seth Leibson. Bill, thank you. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.